1: one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is God's word.
0: Thank you, Cheryl. Uh, For those of you who are not members here or who haven't been here before, this is going to be sort of a unique day at our church. Um, This isn't normally what we do, um, but uh, today's a sad day for us. Today's a really sad day for us. Um, We are missing a dear, dear brother this morning. Uh, For those of you who, I'm sure most of you have heard, if you haven't, uh, our wonderful security guard and member, Alvin Anderson passed away last Sunday. Um, If you don't know who Alvin is, just remember the big dude who would always stand there with a donut in his hand and have flakes of donut on his mouth and... (laughs) Um, he, he was just the best, uh, really, truly the best. And, uh, today I'm going to do a sermon, a, a, a kind of a sermon that I've never done before. And that is, I'm going to eulogize Alvin, but also shepherd and try to guide our church. Um, I've never done that before. So, um, and the reason I'm doing that is because not because he's a special member, more, uh, more special than anyone else. We've certainly had members pass away. We will have others pass away. But Alvin was bigger than life. Not because he was the center of attention. That wasn't Alvin's way. Um, He was big in his love. And he touched most of the people in this room. And that's why I'm going to take some time today and remember him. Um, I miss him a lot today. Wasn't the same walking in and not seeing him standing there with that donut and giving us big bear hugs and touching our little babies and um, just doing what he does so well, love. Um, One of my favorite verses in the Bible is sort of a somber verse, but it's Acts chapter 8, verse 2. In Acts 8, verse 2, the Scripture says this, Devout men buried Stephen... And made great lamentation over him. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. I know some of you don't know Alvin, and I really think that today is going to still be relevant to you. Um, But we live in a day and age where there's more and more pressure applied to people like me, preachers, to not do funerals anymore. But to do what we call celebration services. And that's fine. That's fine. I think anyone who has been with us, especially those who follow Jesus, who name Jesus as our Lord, should be celebrated. But I think underneath that growing sentiment is this fear a fear of experiencing sadness, a fear of experiencing pain. And so we try to stuff and suppress the sadness and the pain and the hurt that we feel, and oftentimes we gloss over it with churchianity, church, Christianese, like celebration services. Um, I don't begrudge, again, anybody for experiencing or having known someone for having a celebration service. It's just, they're just words. But I do think it is a symptom of a growing sickness in our world today. And that is we just don't want to look at our hearts. We don't want to deal with the pain that's inside of us. And because of that, we fall under this deception that if we just ignore it, it'll go away. And sadness and hurt and pain don't go away. They may hibernate for a long, long time. But they will come out. They will come out. They're powerful forces. They're feelings that God has given us to be able to navigate the broken world that we live in. They help us to navigate the broken world that we live in. Acts 8.2 is an amazing text. That's not a verse that will ever be read at a, quote, celebration service. But it will be a great funeral text. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Who were those devout men? I don't know. Maybe they were his the other deacons that he was uh, raised up with. In just a couple of chap- just a couple of chapters earlier, I think it's talking about the whole church at Jerusalem. The devoted people in that church loved him. They grieved over him and they missed him terribly. Um. He was stoned for his faith. It was a dramatic death that he had, really dramatic, but he was loved because, like Alvin, Stephen served that church. He was raised up to take care of people. Stephen, who preaches one of the mightiest sermons in Christian Scripture, had the office of deacon. And just a couple of chapters earlier, he was charged with the responsibility to make sure that the widows, the widows, who were not ethnically Jewish and who were being overlooked because of systemically racist tendencies in the Jerusalem church, he was charged with bringing care to the women who didn't ethnically fit in. I can't think of a more humble responsibility. He wasn't given reps behind the pulpit to preach, even though he was obviously an incredible preacher and could lead any church in our world today. He was charged with caring for people. Our friend Alvin was charged to care for people. He came to us about five and a half years ago. We hired him as a security guard. We didn't want to take for granted the fact that we are are in a church. Anybody can walk in and out. We love our kids. We love you. Dangerous things have happened over the last several years in some churches around the country. And we want to make sure our people are protected. So we hired Alvin. And Alvin quickly endeared himself to us. He went from being our warm teddy bear security guard, well armed, to being a uh, <laughs> to being a brother in our church who was deeply loved and cherished, and uh, we will all miss him. I came across a quote this last week. A really good friend of mine sent me, and um, the quote is by a man named Eugene Peterson. I don't know if you've heard of Eugene Peterson, but uh, I really like his writings. Um, he says this, like the sacramental use of water and bread and wine, friendship takes what's common in human experience and turns it into something holy. Friendship takes what's common in human experience and turns it into something holy. Alvin did that. I think anybody who knows him knows that he did that. He took something so common and something so normal as just saying, what's up on a Sunday morning? And he immersed that relationship, that interaction in a real, real big heart. He was sweet, kind, affectionate. He encouraged us, he protected us, he cared for us, and we all loved him. And last Sunday, after leaving this building and locking up, he was in the car with his children at a restaurant and he had a massive heart attack, and he passed away. And so many people this last week said, I saw him before I left. I hugged him. Told him I loved him. Some people expressed some regret. I was in a hurry that day. I ran out. But Alvin knew you loved him. And not to look for a silver lining But to speak really truthfully, I think it's incredible that the last five and a half years of his life, he had us, a church that adored him. And I think it's awesome that the last five and a half years of his life, I got Alvin. You got Alvin. He will be terribly, terribly missed. As I prepared for uh, the message today, I was going to teach on Romans 1, the wrath of God. Um, I was so excited about that. There's really soft issues to deal with in that text, like homosexuality, um, why God would judge people who never heard the gospel. You know, easy questions to answer, um, And I was ready, but man, the last several days, I just felt almost an irresistible impulse to do what Luke did in the book of Acts. He didn't have to say that this man who died and take a verse in Christian scripture anointed by the Holy Spirit, he didn't have to have an aside there and remind us that Stephen was loved dearly by devoted people. And I feel like one of the things that a healthy church should do, and, and I know we certainly have our flaws, but it's something that I really desire us to continue to become and emerge and in, grow into, a healthy church. And I think one of the things that a healthy church does is remember its dead really, really well. I think a healthy church should mourn our dead. And I know, again, some of you aren't members here, maybe it's your first time here, and Maybe this will give you an idea of what we are and what we aspire to be as a church. We want people in our church to be known. We want them to be loved and celebrated. And we want them, when they pass away, to be missed terribly. That's what we want at our church. That's one of the things that we want. Alvin, um, just in his passing, left us a gift I talk about. I mentioned a healthy church a moment ago. Um, we all have our definition of what a healthy church is. Mine over the years have changed. Um, I'm hitting uh, in two months. I'm hitting 21 years of full time ministry, and my definition of a healthy church 20 years ago is very different from what it is right now. Um, when I think of a healthy church, one of the first verses to come to my mind is 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six. If one member suffers, all suffer together. All suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I love what that verse says. I'd like to start at the end of that verse for a second. If one member is honored, the others don't clamor to be honored as well, because that's only fair. But if one member is honored, regardless of the reason why, we all feel the honor. Because we are not just sentimentally connected to one another. We are viscerally connected to one another by the blood of Jesus. Now, we don't always live that out. But the only thing stopping us is us. We are viscerally connected to one another. And so when one member is honored, even if it's just one, we're all honored. And when one member suffers, we all suffer. One of my prayers for our church is that when one of you hurts, we feel that hurt together. I my desire is that we be so connected here. And I know that every one of us can't be connected to every one of us. That's not realistic. But when one of us suffers, my, my yearning is that we have relationships that are so profound, not perfect, just profound, that when you're hurting, I'm hurting. And others that are connected to you are hurting as well. I really want that to be part of our church. I and I think it's happening. I really do. I think that's happening. I think we see that a lot of the time. Ten years ago, almost ten years ago when I took this church over, I was sharing with uh, Fred Moore a while ago, there were so many people I didn't know. There were so many people I didn't know. It's different now. I know a lot of you. Granted, the peanut gallery often surrounds me at the end of a service, and so I'm not able to get to the 18th row, or I don't think we have 18 rows anymore. We did it Ridgeway, but uh, maybe the 8th row. I was blown away yesterday, another... Another sign of a healthy church, at how many of you served. I was blown away by that. My wife texted me, I was at the graveside, and she said, You won't believe how many people are here. This place is teeming with volunteers. Teeming. There was a time a few years ago when I would have made a call for volunteers and three or four people would have showed up. Just being honest, it was a big weakness in our church, big weakness. That weakness is becoming weaker. Our church is growing. Our church is growing. And I'm really happy about that. For those of you that stayed and served at the repast and served that family, that morning, family, thank you. For those that, you, for, that came at 2.45 and cleaned up the floor in here and set up chairs for the next hour, hour and a half, thank you. Thank you. You were absolute money. My wife hates it when I say that. Um, But she's in children's ministry today, so she won't have to hear that. One of my deepest longings is that you would all be so rooted in our church that when you experience a crisis, a tragedy, people feel your grief. And when you experience a triumph, people viscerally feel your joy. But in order to cultivate this kind of a church, we all have to give of ourselves to that vision. We can't wait for that vision to come to us. Because if we're waiting for it to happen, we are consumers. Consumers kill culture. Givers establish culture. Givers pour into it. Givers shape virtue. They shape beautiful things. Givers do that. We need you to give of yourself to make this happen. Another thing I loved about Alvin, and if you are picking up on this, um, I'm sort of doing two things right now. I'm eulogizing our dear friend Alvin, but I'm also giving a, a vision talk. What is it we desire to be as a church? What do we want to become? What do we consider a win at Renewal Church? What do we consider a win? These things that I'm sharing with you today are far more important than church growth. Far more important. Now, please don't hear me say that I don't care about church growth. Don't hear me say that. I'm not saying it. I want people to come. I want new people to come. I love it every time I see new people walk in the door. I think it's fantastic. I love it. I want more and more and more people to be a part of our church. But if church growth is the foundation of what we are, then all these things I'm talking about won't mean anything. The reason I want people to come and be a part of our church is because I want them to be a part of something that I consider very unique and special in our city. Not a perfect church, far from it. But a church that is learning to love one another with the love of Jesus. That's our goal. We want this church to be that context. I'm going to talk more about that in a second. One thing I loved about Alvin was his childlike love of friendship. He loved it. His childlike love. Um, My friend Antoine Green, I asked him to say a couple of words this morning. Antoine, come on up here, man. Antoine was his uh, community group leader and, uh, and a good friend and Antoine, his group meets in the uh, Hacks Cross Shelby Drive. Hacks Cross Shelby Drive area. Yeah, and if you live in that area, Antoine, uh, I'm gonna let the cat out of the bag here. Antoine's an elder candidate at our church right now, and um, so don't screw it up. Um, and um, he and his wife Barbara lead a community group in the uh, in that area of town. And and uh, I asked him just to share a couple of things about Alvin. And you can't talk about Alvin and not laugh. I mean, you you just can't. So, um, man, just say a couple of words about him.
1: All right. Yeah, he asked me to share a few things, you know, because we, you know, people who don't know him feel like they know him when they meet him. But but when we, you know, like when we all met him, he was Officer Anderson. And then, you know, uh, when the brothers started coming to our small group, um, we really, you know, try to get away from that word, small group. We transcended in that because – we really, are, uh, we really family. And um, that brother was one of the, he, he was, I ain't going to say one of, but he was the core of that family for us. Because as the guys, you know, we all get together and we hang out. And, you know, we don't do it as much as we should. But when we used to get together, hang out, he kept us laughing. And it was just, uh, it's so much I could tell you about this dude. He have us laughing all the time. Because one of my boys, you know, they remind us of the apple juice. Cause every time he come to the house, he want some apple
0: juice.
1: <laughs> the first thing he say, "I know y'all got some apple juice." To the point where my wife started we would buy these big gallons of apple juice. She would buy two of them—one for him and one for us. <laughs> uh, and it got so bad that I told the dude, "I said I might as well adopt you as my son because my wife taking care of you, like you know." But it was all good though. But uh, one particular instance of guys was getting together over one of the brothers' house, and uh, we was talking about what we was going to bring. He was like, okay, bro, i bring some tater tots. This dude walked in the door with eight bags of tater tots. <laughs> it ain't before of us. And he had eight bags of tater tots. So, you know, we always laughed and joke with each other. So I was like, Yeah, I know what you're doing. You're grocery shopping. You're shopping for the rest of the month, but that's cool, though. Was, but that was just one thing. And, you know, like my older said, that how he was, when he would drink that apple juice, he would leave one little squig. <laughs> squig means just a little bit. You really can't even fill up a half of a half a glass, but he would leave a little squig. And, uh, like I said, he was just a wonderful brother, you know. Because for me, whenever I was struggling, you know, he made good for a while before his shift changed. He would always call me on my lunch break. Because the dude, like I said yesterday, if he got your number, he will call you. And, I, I mean, I ain't sitting up here just trying to say that. He going to call you. If he knew where you live, he made it his business to come to your house and see about you. Which I shared yesterday of we were hanging out. Uh, I know it went to Super Bowl party or something. I don't know what we're getting ready to do. And uh, the dude came in with a Kroger bag. So we talking, and I'm asking him, what you got in this bag? And he just looked at me and smiled. Got my house shoes on. He put them on. So he said, you know, he was like, you said, make yourself at home. I'm like, right, 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 right. You good, you good. But, uh, but that brother's spirit, you know, just, uh, I mean, I can go on and on about how good this dude was. I just say, you know, when my granddaddy used to tell us about being a man, I got a chance to see what a man looked like. You know, besides my grandfather, I got a chance to see what a man looked like, you know, walking on. Not a man defined like how we say what a man is. Get up, I'm strong, you know, I'm tough, you know, I go to work, take care of my family. I'm talking about a man that know how to show affection, in in touch with his emotional side, but as well as his strong side. A man, you know, and uh, this brother is going to be greatly missed because people that really don't know him, that know us in our small group that know him. They feel it. And that's the kind of love I'm talking about. Like Chris was just got through saying, when one member suffers, all of us suffer. He gave a true meaning to when Christ said we, how we should love one another. That was the most profound thing. Christ said, the greatest commandment of all, that we should love one another. That brother loved well. You hear me? Loved well. He loved our children. When he be standing at home, y'all see his head? He on the swivel. But he always pulled one of them young guys to the side, and he's dropping those little bit nuggets of wisdom in them. You know, and a man that just wanted to serve God. But, you know, like I said, I can go on and on because I can talk a little bit. It's in my <laughs> blood, but I can talk on and on about this dude. But, you know, for us, we just remember all the good times. The first thing that come to mind is laughter. You know, from him shuffling in, asking for some apple juice. I want to know if we got some ice cream, because that's how you say it, some ice cream. <laughs> Or, or, you know, just like I said, bringing all those tater ties. Man, we're just going to miss that dude, you know. But um, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you.
0: Um, Our cynical world doesn't have enough people like him. And I'm challenging all of us to pick up that legacy in our church. Uh, The Bible speaks of imitating one another. In Christ, Um, we should imitate the things that are at the core of our faith, and that's love. Um, Antoine not only had a way of welcoming you into his space, but he had a way of invading your space. And for some reason, he got away with that. I could never get away with that. I would scare people. Um, Alvin didn't, and it was okay. Like Antoine said, he called, he texted, he stopped by. He pushed his way into a lot of our lives. He was, he was an irresistible force. You had to love him. He had the gift to be able to gently blunder in our lives and make himself home there. And because of this, I knew I was safe with Alvin. I knew I was safe with him. And it's only when we feel safe with one another, that we can really get below the surface and face real issues together. Notice that I didn't say deal with issues. It's not about dealing with issues. The issue is not at the center. People are. And so whatever it is that tries our relationships with one another, the core of that relationship, The thing to be pursued, the goal is the person, not the issue. This is something we desperately need to learn in our culture today. In a culture where we are, it's too easy to rant and too easy to shame people and too easy to point our finger, too easy to post things passively, aggressively toward whole people groups who disagree with us. We don't deal with issues. We face issues together, hand in hand. Because that, my friends, is what peacemakers do. Peacemakers get below the issue to the person. Peacemakers don't let the issue destroy our relationship. That's what peacemakers do. That's something I'm learning. I'm not good at that, but I'm learning it. Um, recently, you you might remember, uh, well, a few months ago, that I began making calls for people, uh, actually back in the fall, I began making calls for people who had an interest in justice. Justice in our world. Seeing justice happen. I invited you to reach out to me. Shoot me an email. And I'd like to begin meeting with you because I need some help discerning both the brokenness of Memphis and how the giftings and callings of our church uniquely intersect with the brokenness of Memphis. Because I don't know how. I've been pastoring this church for nine years and I'm still scratching my head wondering, how can our church really do some damage to the kingdom of darkness? How? And I had had almost 20 people reach out to me. And we've been meeting every month since the fall, sitting around, sometimes in my living room, sometimes in the offices here, sipping on coffee, eating some really unhealthy food, dipping donuts in cheese dip. It's crazy, the stuff, some of the stuff we do. That needs justice in our group. Um, and recently, we had, a, uh, we had a conversation that I did not like. I didn't like it. It was a tense conversation. And there were some things in this conversation that I did not want to hear because I'm carrying some hurt in that area. 2016 was a discouraging year for me. Um, I was deeply distressed by the way that some of our members, and I've, I've mentioned this to you, and I'm not saying this to shame anyone, but I'm just being honest with you. You're often honest with me. Um, I was deeply distressed by the way some of our members interacted with one another, particularly on Facebook and social media. If you remember last year, um, our country was embroiled in an ugly, ugly political campaign and some demonic racial tension. It was hard. Um, I tried to stand in the middle of that and bring the words of the gospel to bear contextually on those issues. I'm certain, although I'm not sure how, but I'm certain I missed it in some ways. Simply because I've not walked a mile in some of your shoes. I've not felt some of the things that you've felt. But that doesn't disqualify me from speaking on it. That doesn't mean I can't have an opinion and I can't learn and I can't shepherd And I can't call people to repentance and to understanding. And in trying to navigate some really, really tense issues, I stayed with my eyes fixed on the gospel, which is this. The body of Christ is bigger than ethnic issues. I'm not minimizing those issues. They are real, and we've got to face those but if those issues divide us as believers, if that divides us as believers, there's something very broken about our faith. Very broken. Sometimes when issues are full of strife and have a lot of emotional emotion packed into it, it takes time to walk through them. One sermon doesn't fix that. It takes years as a community to navigate that and face that together. It just doesn't go away in a a teaching series. It's hard. And despite trying as hard as I could, these were the two responses I received from my detractors. One was that I am a closet liberal, and I am trying to liberalize our church. And one was that I'm way too conservative and don't speak prophetically enough. That's always the feedback for everything. If we paint the walls, I'm going to be in some people's eyes a liberal or a conservative. Because sadly, that's the lens that is the most dominant lens in most of our lives. And that has got to change. We've got to get underneath that. And so that hurt. We had some attrition last year. We had some people move on. I don't say that to shame or condemn those people. I speak God's blessings over them. No cursings. God, go in peace. But it hurt. Lost friends last year. You did too. Some of you did. It was hard. I wanted to get out of that year as quickly as I could. I even bought into the lie, kind of, that January 1st was going to be awesome. Everything was going to change. Can't wait till 2017. Because cosmically and mystically, whenever the calendar changes, problems stop. I wanted to get away from the mean-spirited ridiculing of presidential candidates. By some of you, publicly, knowing that others in this church hold different views and not caring that the damage that might be done, not caring that we might alienate and repel one another. Because at the end of the day, who wins the election is more important than my love for you and your love for me. I'm not minimizing or trivializing the heavy issues that our country, our culture is facing. I'm not. Not. But we are the church of Jesus Christ. And these things must not divide us. That doesn't mean that we just sit on our hands. But the wrong path that we've been taking is speaking the truth on social media when we should be with people face to face asking questions, learning. We may not walk away from that table at Starbucks seeing eye-to-eye on things. But you are going to be a person and not just a cartoon anymore. And I'm going to be able to understand why you hold certain opinions and values, even though we may disagree, maybe paradoxically. I'm going to be able to love you better. I'm going to be able to love you better. That's what we should be doing. But that's hard, man. It's easier to launch something on Facebook. It's so easy to do that. We've suffered some attrition over this—not a lot, but some attrition with a couple, a few bodies leaving. But more deeply, there's been some cynicism that has taken root in our church. There are people in our church who know I can't go and be with that person. Too dangerous. Too dangerous. So there's a toxicity that's here that together we've got to face, we've got to repent of, and we've got to dive into love, man. We've got to own this. We've got to repent of it. And as I'm talking this last week, the issue uh, a couple of weeks ago with this group, they began to say some things that were true things, but things that related to the racial tension in our city, in our church, and, man, I guess I just had a moment of PTSD because I just I felt a lot of anger. I felt a lot of shame. I felt powerless. I went on vacation the next week. Went to Gatlinburg with the family. And it's there during the week in my little devotional times that I'm having that I just sense the Holy Spirit whispering. This church is uniquely poised, to do something so beautiful. But are you willing to pick up your cross and go there with me? Are you willing to pick up your cross? We are as uniquely poised as any church to be the kind of community in our city in which we intentionally come together to learn to love each other well. To love each other well. I remember having a youth pastor when I was a kid. And all he did was teach on love. And I thought it was so stupid. And now all I can see when I look at the Bible is love. That's all I can see. I read about ancient stories, ancient memories of the Apostle John wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation, the gospel of John. He was the longest surviving disciple. He was the only one, tradition says, that wasn't martyred. He was tortured, but not martyred. And at the end of his life, when he's an old man, his body is crippled, can't even stand up. Ancient memories tell us that his young disciples would pick him up carry him into the church service, sit him down, and the people would gather around him. He's probably in the city of Ephesus, surrounding areas. Jerusalem had been long destroyed by the Romans. And he's sitting in these church services, and he would begin to open his mouth and preach the same sermon every single time. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Yeah, theology's fun. Good preaching's fun. Invigorating conversation is great. But love one another. Love one another well. Let this be the brand of our church, that we love one another well. And I'm looking at our church, and we're not a church of a bunch of white people. That would be easier. I'm a white guy. Did you notice that? That would be easier. If our church was all black people, that would be easier. I got to preach at a predominantly black funeral yesterday. It was amazing. Seeing actual passion in people's faces was awesome. You should try that sometime. Um, It's amazing. When the music's playing, people's mouths are moving, they're singing. It was awesome. I'm sorry little reverse racism there, sorry. Um, (laughs) I just really struggle with white people, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) I love you too. Uh, What was I saying? Um, But we're not. We're a church that is filled with people who are raised Presbyterian, Baptist, United Methodist. Some of you have come, literally, come from cults. Some of you have come from backgrounds where it was functionally atheistic. There was no mention of God. God was Easter and Christmas. I mean, we come from various backgrounds. Not only do we come from various backgrounds theologically, which is cognitive, we come from backgrounds that are viscerally, culturally different. Some of us love to shout. And when people who don't come from backgrounds where there was shouting, it feels weird, really weird. That's, that's called multiculturalism. When you've got people that are here that are shouting and other people aren't, sometimes it's easy to look at them in judgment. Why aren't you shouting? Why aren't you excited like I am? We have, we have to answer all these questions under the surface as we just go to church together. We don't just come and turn our brains off, listen to the sermon. This is who we are. And it makes our church hard at times. But every single time we gather, every time we're in each other's presence, we have an opportunity to love one another, to really learn to love one another. Because Jesus said it, it's easy to love people who love you. It's easy to love people who love you. If if every one of you comes up here and starts handing me $5 bills and says, Chris, this is aside from the offering. I want you to put this in your wallet and go spend it this week. Man, I never want to leave this church. (laughs) But the moment it gets hard, everybody's looking for an exit strategy. The only way you can love is when you're looking for an exit strategy. The only way you can really learn to love is when you want to leave. The only way you can learn love is when you are tested culturally. The only way you can really learn to love, love beyond your ability, and love along the frontier of the gospel, the only way you can learn that is when you are doing life with people who don't think like you, who don't look like you, who don't talk like you, who don't come from your background, your neighborhood, your high school. We are different. That's the only way you can learn how to really love because it's only in that context that you can look at yourself and go, whoa, I'm learning a lot. I'm coming a long way. Because it's easy to love the people that it's easy to be with. That's easy. And there aren't many churches like that in this city where we can actually learn to do what the gospel says fundamentally is Christianity. Love. Love. So the thing that I despised the most about 2016... God has miraculously, literally miraculously opened my eyes in such a way that I now see that pain, even though it's not fun, still not fun, I see that pain now as a doorway where I can become a better shepherd, our elders can become better shepherds, and you, all of us together, can grow as followers of Jesus. What it looks like to be Jesus' people. The thing that I despise the most the thing that brought much turmoil and fear and loathing into my life and many of your lives is the God-ordained opportunity to learn to love deeply, tenderly, civilly, gospelly. To be the kind of church that is rare in this city. One in which the old, crusty memories of the past no longer shape us. But the hope of the new creation that shapes us. To be the kind of church that isn't known as being gospel because we teach good stuff. Which I hope we do. But gospel because we love the way Jesus loved. Where we become authentic Jesus imitating.